Our scripture text this morning is from Mark chapter 14. Uh, before we get there, I want to mention these little books. He gets us. Uh, we bought 50 of them, which will probably go fast. There are some people who bought them before the service, but if you would like to get one to read along with where we're going for the next 10 weeks, uh, they're out in the lobby. I think they're selling them for $15. It covers our shipping and, and all that. If we need to, we'll get more for next week. Uh, just so you know, I'm not necessarily going to cover every part of this book. That's not the goal, but we picked 10 themes about Jesus that rise from this study that a number of churches around the country are doing at this time as well. Um, also wanted to let you know that uh, we need to come around Corinne de Graff. Corinne had an adult son, Mitchell, who died earlier this week, and that's a, a very hard um, uh, chapter in Corinne's life. Also uh, talked with uh, D. Tag yesterday a little bit. Frank's younger sister died yesterday and he's going to be heading down to Florida to handle a lot of the stuff that's all around her passing. Uh, so we, we uh, share our sorrows with those two families today. Mark chapter 14 verses 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass for him. Appa, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Before we move on, I want you to watch this short video that sets this up. Life can be heavy. A burden which at times seems unbearable. It's easy to find ourselves overwhelmed, weighed down, or even crushed. Often these struggles come and go, a nuisance, an annoyance, yet sometimes they grab a hold, gripping every aspect of our lives, pulling us down, consuming our hope. It's hard to breathe under the weight of our anxieties. It's difficult to move forward when we're anchored to our worries. But God loves us too much to let us stay this way. He wants to replace our anxiety with hope, our fear with courage, our worries with peace, and our burdens with freedom. In moments when life begins to weigh you down, remember this one simple truth. We serve a faithful God, 
a God who's offered to carry our burdens and asks us to cast all our cares on Him. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you for this day, for the opportunity that we have together to stop all of the stuff we've been rushing around with this week and to come together and to praise your name, to focus on your word and to discover more about Jesus, your son. Guide us as we begin to walk through this He Gets Us study open our thoughts to either greater understanding or to a renewal of focus about things we once knew but might have forgotten. Take us deeper into the heart of Jesus, that we will know him better, that we will serve him more faithfully, that we will be the kind of church he wants us to be. Lord, you know the needs of every person who's here. You know the fears that we came in with. You know those who may be here for the first time or watching for the first time who are checking us out and have all kinds of questions. You know the, the urgency of uh, some things that have been pressed into our lives this week that need immediate attention. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your compassion to respond the right way. Work in our hearts and our minds at whatever level is appropriate for each and every one of us. We ask that you would do this. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my first role models for learning about how an adult Christian lives out his faith or her faith came from working as a house painter who was a friend of my father. I've mentioned this guy before, but Larry White, known to most of his friends and his clients simply as Whitey, was a World War II veteran. He fought for George Patton in the Battle of the Bulge, and there are a number of uh, traumatizing things that he saw and he heard in those years. Well, I worked for Whitey every summer, starting when I was 16 years old, and then again during the year that we launched North River. When we started the church, I needed to have a job. I needed to have something that I could do day by day, but that didn't forced me to go out at night because every night we were meeting and planning and figuring out how we were going to get, get this church off the ground. And working for Whitey was an interesting experience. On the one hand, he was a guy who was always looking for ways to use his work to demonstrate his faith. On the other hand, he frustrated us every single day because somewhere in the middle of the day he would disappear for hours, often leaving us without the key instructions that we needed to complete the, the job that we had at hand. And at one point, I learned why Whitey would go on these disappearing acts uh, several days, sometimes uh, more than once a day. Whitey had what was later come to be known as uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. They hadn't uh, diagnosed that as he was coming out of the war years, but there were times when the stress that he experienced for being on the front lines of battle would come back into his mind and it would rush in in a way that he couldn't control. At first, it led him to alcoholism and to barroom brawling. And I mentioned the last time I talked about him, he, he saw Billy Graham on a television show one night, and he literally got down in front of the television and invited Jesus to come into his life. And, and Jesus literally removed the desire for alcohol uh, from his life, and he, he began to change in his 40s in a radical way. But when he, when he surrendered his life to Christ, there was this whole new sense of control that came about in his life. 
except he couldn't stop those memories from rushing back into his mind. And he found that the healthiest way for him to deal with that was he would go to the beach and he'd take these long walks on on the beach. And while he was doing that, he could hear the bombs exploding and he could hear the whistles flying by. But there's something about the power of the wind and the waves that had a calming effect on him. And then when he was ready, he'd come back to work and, and he'd let us know everything we needed to know. Now here's the point of telling you that story. No matter who we are, We all encounter different levels of stress. When stress builds up, we need strategies that can help us bear up under the load. And this morning, we're going to talk about this. So let me just say good morning to everybody, everybody who's here at North River this morning. I am delighted to see you. Let me welcome everybody who's watching online. Thank you for taking the time to prioritize this part of your day, whether you're watching right now live or whether you're going to catch this later in the day. We're glad that you're a part of this. And whether you're here this morning with a friend or whether you decided to watch this morning because a friend encouraged you, let me encourage the friends who keep doing that. I am meeting people week after week who walk in here for the first experience on a Sunday morning and they're telling me, oh, I've been watching for four months or six months or a year online because a friend told me about your church. And that's the way most people discover us. And I am so grateful when you do that and when you find the confidence enough about what you've experienced to share that with somebody else. This morning we're launching a new series that I mentioned last week which focuses on the life of Jesus There are hundreds of other churches around the country that are doing this either at this time or at a later time. The series is called He Gets Us. Some of the ads for this series were featured during this past uh, February's Super Bowl. And so to kick this off, today our first theme in the series is Jesus in a Stressed Out World. Here are some of the questions that are running behind this message. Did Jesus experience stress? And if he did, how did he deal with stress in his own life? So a handful of observations here. Here's the first one. You and I, we live in a world of stress. This shouldn't be shocking. Jesus warned us about this. In John 16, he said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In World War II, the U.S. Army began to understand the impact of what became known as battle fatigue. I don't know if any of you remember the old movie with George C. Scott playing Patton that won a number of awards, but there's one famous scene in that and in every book that's been written about Patton where he was forced to apologize for slapping a soldier who had become overwhelmed with battle fatigue. Patton didn't understand any of this at that moment, but while visiting this guy in the sick bay set up by the doctors, he encountered a whole bunch of soldiers who had been wounded and injured, and then this one guy with whom there was nothing physically wrong, but he was trembling, sitting in a chair in a corner, and wouldn't go back into, into battle. And at first, Patton talked with him tenderly, and then when he realized there's nothing wrong with this guy, that was all in his head, Patton just flipped out, and he slapped the guy, and he called him a bunch of names, and he urged him to get back into battle. And um, he was forced, as the story got out, there were some people from the press who witnessed this happening, And the story got out, and he was forced by the generals above him in front of all of his men to apologize to this soldier. It was a huge deal. Max Licato, in He Gets Us, notes that the army figured out that after 60 days of continuous battle on the front lines, men were emotionally dead. That's the term that they used. That was the most that they could take. 
And the army needed to take them off the front lines and to get them some rest and relaxation before they were ready for battle again. And so they began to have this cycle where men were on the front lines for a period of time. They would pull them off, send them to Paris or some other city, and then after a week they would bring them back. Lakato contrasted this with Army Air Corps flyers whose combat mortality rate was actually higher. Even though 50% of them were killed in action, a surprising 93% of them reported that they were happy with their assignments. What was the difference between the experience with the Army and the experience with the Air Corps? Lakato quotes author Taylor Clark in his answer, quote, Those pilots had their hands on the throttle. They sat in the cockpit. They felt that their fate was theirs to determine, unquote. In other words, the more control that they had of the situation, even though it was more dangerous, the more ready they were to take on the challenge. Stress often brings us to a breaking point. Stress and anxiety come as perceived control diminishes in our lives. So the pilot with the hands on the wheel perceives that he has more control than the soldier who's in a foxhole on the front lines, even though the pilot's rate of survival is probably lower. I find it helpful at this point to reflect on this statement from Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. Some other Bible translations have added to this. In the New King James Version, it says, in this world, you will have tribulation. In the New Living Translation, it puts it, in this world, you will have many trials and sorrows. Combined, the Bible is telling us that it is common to expect that in this life you will experience trouble, trials, sorrow, and tribulation. So whenever you encounter teaching that tells you that a Christian who is doing life right should not have trials and tribulations, tell them to talk with Jesus. Their problem is not with me. Their problem is not with you. Their problem actually is with Jesus because he said, in this life you will have all of these things as part of a normal experience. He told us to expect them. Perhaps there are some people in this room or watching online today who are here specifically because you are undergoing a period of intense tribulation in your life. Your maladies and your bills are stacking up and they become overwhelming. You've experienced a grievous loss of life in your family or among your friends. The pressures from your job or school or your environment are mounting up higher and higher. Well, if that's not you, I want you to know that you're in the right place today. If, if that's something you're dealing with, and we're glad that you're here with us today. Here's the second observation. Jesus understood stress. There's a scene that we read about a moment ago from Mark's gospel that happens just before Jesus was arrested. I know we just celebrated Good Friday and Easter last week, but we're going back just a notch before that. In Mark 14, 32 to 34, we read these words. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of, of, with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Now this may surprise some, but Jesus experienced great, overwhelming stress in his life. This scene took place in Jerusalem's Garden of Gethsemane shortly before Jesus was betrayed by Judas and arrested by a contingency of temple guards who were working for the high priests. Jesus knew what was coming. 
He knew what was ahead of him, betrayal, arrest, interrogation, a trial, beatings, and the cross. So after the very first communion service where he reinterpreted a bit of the Passover uh, remembrance, he went with his closest friends to pray. Look at the words that describe how he felt. There's a narrative description that first says he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. We don't often think of Jesus that way as being distressed and troubled, but he was not only distressed and troubled, he was deeply distressed and troubled. And then Jesus adds his own words, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Meaning, this sorrow was unbelievably profound. So we, we don't often think of Jesus that way, but perhaps we should correct our images that we have in our heads of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one who stood up in a boat in the midst of a raging storm and with the terrified disciples all around him, including those who had been fishermen, and, and he simply stood up and said, peace, be still, and the wind and the waves died down. So we think of Jesus that way as always being in control, not of being distressed and troubled. Jesus was the one who stayed up all night long as they brought sick people to him, one after the other, and, and he healed them all and prayed for them all. Yet on this night... The night of his betrayal, Jesus experienced great stress, and he voiced it. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. You and I can take comfort in that. Not that we would wish soul-crushing distress or sorrow upon Jesus or anybody else for that matter, yet this tells us that Jesus understands when your experiences of life are filled with overwhelming stress. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 in the New Testament says, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. In other words, part of the reason that God allowed him to go through all these experiences was so that he would understand the pressures that we go through, the trials that we go through, the soul-crushing defeats that are part of life. Because Jesus experienced this overwhelming stress, he gets us. He gets us. He gets where you're at. He is a compassionate, merciful, and faithful high priest who is able to meet us in our point of need because of his experience. Third observation. Notice how Jesus dealt with stress in his life. So it comes from this same passage of Scripture that we just read a moment ago. Here's the first step we see in the midst of this. He relied on his inner circle. So Mark 14.33 says, He took Peter, James, and John along with them, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus did not ask the entire band of disciples to come with him at this moment. This wasn't the moment to bring in the crowd that heard the Sermon on the Mount. But he developed an inner circle whom he relied on in key moments. Peter, James, and John were with him on the day that he was transfigured when this brilliant light came from the sky and, and angels appeared with Jesus. Gethsemane was an olive grove in the Mount of Olives. It was somewhere about two miles from J Jerusalem, maybe a little bit less than that. And Luke tells us that Jesus was only a stone's throw away from these other three disciples, his inner circle, as he prayed. Here's the point in raising that. Wise Christians develop an inner circle of friends who pray with you and who pray for you. 
And even Jesus needed that inner circle of friends that he could depend on in those moments in life. Have you developed your inner circle team? If you haven't, you're missing something that's important on the day when all of a sudden the turmoil crashes in on you. Here's the second observation. He prayed for another way. In verse 36, same chapter, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here, Jesus showed us his humanity. He was stressed because the pathway of the cross would push him beyond any test he'd been through yet. Mark indicates that he prayed this way three times. And each time, he asked God the Father, if there is another way, can you take this cup from me? He wasn't saying, Lord, I'm rejecting the assignment, but he was rec recognizing how taxing this would be that it would push him to the very, very limit of his endurance. When you pray about the challenges in your life, it's okay to ask God, are there other ways that could be worked out here? Is there another path that, that you can find for me? Bring your options to God. Ask if there's another way. See if he redirects your thinking. Then he took his stress to God. Verse 44 in, in Luke 22 says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like great, great drops of blood falling to the ground. So Luke is adding in some details in his account of this that Mark didn't bring up. Luke, the medical doctor, is the one who would do this, who would describe this. Hematidrosis is a medical condition that occurs when a person is under extreme physical and mental stress, where the body goes into a fight-or-flight mode, which can cause capillaries to collapse, leading to blood getting into the sweat glands. Medical people who look at this verse in the Gospels tell us this is most likely what was happening with Jesus, and it illustrates how great Jesus' stress was in reconciling himself to the task ahead. When you pray, you can pour out your stress before the Lord, knowing that Jesus himself has gone to the absolute limits of, of physical and mental endurance. He understands your plight. Take it to him. Then he submitted to the Father's will. And so we come back to verse 36 in Mark 14. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Remember, Jesus prayed this way three times. He was asking the Lord God if there was another way to accomplish everything that he would eventually accomplish on the cross. And each time Jesus surrendered to the Father. He was not concerned about his own will, but about concerning God the Father's will and completing the task set before him. As he prayed, the Lord Jesus received strength. Verse 43 of Luke 22 says that in this moment, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and strengthened him. So as he prayed, in the process of praying, God met him and God was preparing him for the testing ahead. So here it is that Luke adds that an angel was sent at that moment, and the angel was involved in this process of strengthening him. I don't know how. Perhaps it was the encouragement of, of seeing an angel side by side. Jesus had lived in the presence of the angels. 
Perhaps it was something that the angels said. Perhaps there was a way of infusing strength into him. I really don't know exactly what the angel did, but it was encouraging and strengthening to Jesus. It also seems fitting. Just as an angel announced Jesus' birth, now an angel appears in the garden and prepares him for the central moment for which he had come. I find it so comforting to know that the Lord took this step as Jesus prayed. Who knows how God chooses to meet us in our times of prayer. But notice, it was in the act of praying that God brought that strength into his life. Then finally, after praying, Jesus was ready. And so Mark 14, 41 says that returning the third time, in other words, the third session of prayer he'd had, a stone's throw away from the other disciples, he came back to them and he says, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. With these words, there is a resoluteness, even a boldness in Jesus' words. Prayer time with the Father had strengthened him for the trial that awaited him, and he announces that the hour has come and that he's ready, and he wants his disciples to be ready too. Let me introduce to you the big idea that is running through this message. Jesus turned to God with the stress of his most crucial hour, showing that God can handle our stress too. He turned to God in, in the heat of that moment, and it reveals that we can do the same thing. Why was this moment so crucial for Jesus? Romans 5 adds an, a little bit of an insight for us at this level. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Christ died for us. This was the moment in time when God met our greatest need. Jesus' task was to die for the sins of the ungodly. What most people don't realize is that our sins separate us from God. We tend to walk through life as a part of our American culture thinking, I'm okay, God's okay, everything's okay, I don't really need a whole lot of help, I'm going through my life just fine. But notice here what Paul writes in these three verses. There are some words that, uh, that follow each other that explain the situation. He said, Christ died for the ungodly in verse 6. In verse 7, there's a comparison. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, Someone might possibly dare to die. And then in verse 8, we find that that first point is emphasized again. God demonstrates his own love for us that Christ died for us. In other words, we're the ungodly ones apart from Christ, that apart from his righteousness in our lives, that's the way we appear before God. Our separation is that great. As a merciful God, the Bible reveals that God desires to rescue people from the hold that sin has on us. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to experience relief from that hold if you haven't before. But also as a just God, God must satisfy the demands of divine justice. And that means that he can't simply sweep our, our sins away. He can't play favorites and forgive those he loves most while letting some others be punished. He can't simply sweep them under the carpet and pretend they didn't exist. 
God is bound by his very nature to do what is right every time or he is no longer a God of justice. This is why the role of Jesus is so pivotal. Paul writes that Jesus came at the right time when the needs of the human race were so acute. Despite all the world's knowledge and all the world's might, we were powerless over sin's hold. The timing was right for a Jewish Messiah to die on a Roman cross for the sins of the whole world. That's the amazing reality. Paul put this succinctly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Christ died for us. Not, not for the worst of the worst who needed extra help. For us, for all of us, for every one of us. The stress of paying that cost, the cost of redeeming people from, from the way that sin blinds and binds us, weighed heavily on Jesus. He knew that we could never find a way to pay for our own sins. He knew that only a perfect sacrifice could accomplish this. God's plan of grace and forgiveness hung on Jesus' unique ability to die for our sins. He could do this because he was the Son of God who'd never sinned, and he could be that perfect sacrifice who could step in for us. But he could also take the hit for us because he had also come into this world as a human being, taken on human flesh. He could both represent God being the Son of God, and he could represent us to God in that moment by taking our sins because he was one of us. So Jesus came to fulfill that mission at what Paul calls just the right time. When you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior, it is at that moment that his grace is actually applied to us. Before that moment, that's all head knowledge. That's all intellectual stuff that we embrace. But at the moment when we put our faith and trust in him and say, this is the Savior that I'm trusting in, that is when grace gets applied to your life. Jesus turned to God with the stress of his most crucial hour, showing that God can handle our stress too. Here's the final point that I want to make to you. Jesus can be trusted with your stress. Jesus offers to deliver us from the stress of saving ourselves. Remember, Romans 5 says that he came at just the right time when we were still powerless. Have you been able to break sin's hold in your life? In every area? Or have you been able to erase the sins of your past that sometimes hold you down like chains? If you're honest with yourself, you'll admit that this is something you are unable to do in your own strength. Here we see that Jesus came to die for our sins because only Jesus could take the hit for us and come back. So, if you've not done this, when you place your trust in Jesus, you are relieved from carrying this burden anymore. The grace of God becomes applied to your life when you transfer your trust from yourself to save yourself, to be good enough, to be religious enough, to somehow get yourself there. When you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus, he takes away the burden that you've been trying to carry. Until that moment, you are trying to come up with your own way of saving yourself. And you won't be able to do that because the Bible declares that the wages of sin, or what sin naturally earns, is death. But God loves us too much to leave us that way. So the gift of God is new life, complete forgiveness, leading to freedom of the soul. That's why Peter wrote the words that were at the end of that little video we just watched. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you.
So question, are you ready to give up on doing it your own way and to trust in Jesus? Quietly call out to God and tell him you're ready to embrace Jesus as your Savior. Ask God for his mercy. Tell him that you're ready to follow the way of Jesus. You don't have to clean yourself up first. Just come as you are and let Jesus work in you. He'll do the rest. You can pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I have sinned and fallen short of God's expectations. I'm casting my cares on you. I'm transferring my trust from myself to you as my Savior. Help me to follow your ways from this day forward. I wonder if you would close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute, those of you who are here and those of you who are online, maybe you can whisper along with us. But I want to just read that prayer again. And if you haven't before, maybe this is the time that you pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I have fallen short of God's expectations. I'm casting my cares on you. And I'm transferring my trust to you as my Savior. Help me to follow your ways from this day forward. Now, while your heads are still bowed, let me ask you, if you just prayed that prayer and you invited Jesus to come into your life, would you just raise your hand so that I can see it? This is the first time. This is one of those moments where maybe you're crossing a line. And this is your first act in raising your hand that you want people to see that. And maybe you're at home. And if you're watching today, I hope that you will write in. Either send me an email, paul at northriverchurch.org or or write in if, if you have the chat line where you are. And I'd love to follow up with you. I'd love to have a conversation with you about this. But know this, that your burden has been lifted. Jesus has taken it away when you put your trust in him. You can look up. You can. There will be other stresses in our lives. This isn't the only one, but this is where it starts. The stress of work, the stress of family, the stress of relationships. Jesus showed the way that God helps with those assignments too. And when we follow this pattern that we see with Jesus in the garden, he will begin to work with your stress too. He'll soften it. Sometimes he'll take it away. Sometimes he's going to strengthen you so that you are ready for the test on your own. I love this statement from Anne Lamott a kind of a sometimes uncouth Christian author. Some of you might be offended by her, but I love the way she writes. She said, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. Sometimes we need to go to the garden with Jesus and unplug. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, you know the heart of each person who responded in some way this morning. And I pray that you will meet us at that point of stress. You are the Savior who came to redeem our lives and to make them worthwhile. So we give up the burdens that we've been trying to carry on our own. We give them to you. And we ask that in the process of turning to you, that you will relieve our stress and strengthen us at the same time. In his name we ask. Amen.